Welcome to Interchange. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. Interchange was founded inside of Bond, the embedded finance company. This podcast is a place for conversation, questioning, and open learning about the future of embedded finance. Our guest this week is our very own Marcus Lobendon. Marcus is VP of Strategic Partnerships at Bond. He sits at the nexus of bank, technology, and brand partnerships, so he really has a high-level view of the embedded finance space and can see across all these different stakeholders. We cover Marcus's background, how and why he got into banking and fintech, and how he sees the future of fintech slowly becoming ubiquitous in society. I hope you enjoy this interchange with Marcus Lobendon. You had a very interesting life. Take me all the way back to like where you were born, how many different jumps you made around different portions of the world and how you have gotten to the point where you see all these cultures because you've seen most of them in my experience. Yeah, there's no design, but somehow I find things that weave into each other. So my parents were in school in, uh, in Hawaii. They went to BYU, Hawaii. That's where they met. And, you know, I joke with them. The best thing they did was give me the U.S. passport lottery by having me be born in Hawaii. Uh, we ultimately moved from Hawaii, though, when I was two years old. My dad graduated and we moved to Fiji, which is where my dad grew up. He's you know, Samoan by blood, but he, he grew up, he was born and raised in Fiji. So um, on my past, my birth certificate actually says that my dad is Fijian, although he's not. Um, that's a side story. Uh, then we moved to New Zealand after that, which is where my mom was from. Uh, went to high school there. So depending on who I'm talking to, when someone says, where are you from? Uh, you know, I might say New Zealand, or I might say Fiji. Uh, I had a short stint in Australia before then making my way back to Hawaii uh, in 2007 and kind of haven't left since. So, uh, you know, it's sad to say, I think about that of not going back to New Zealand yeah. in too many years to count. Oh man. Plus with COVID and everything, when people, when people ask you where you're from, do you ever just like start doing the Hakka and just see what they think from there? Just like start, start going into it and then they can figure out, well, maybe he's Polynesian, maybe he's Hawaiian. We don't really know, but he just keeps doing the Hakka. He's spitting at me. I don't know why. But it's, it's those two questions, right? You know, oh, can you do the haka or do you play rugby? Uh, <laughs> or people, you do know. you know The Rock? <laughs> <laughs> so I do like to use that one, you know. And I can't. I think The Rock is someone. Don't quote me on that. But I mean, he's got some Hawaiian connections. He's got some brown skin, and and he's up there in the world of like. So you know, I might have said once or twice that you know, oh yeah, he's a distant cousin. Um, but yeah, no, it depends on, on the conversation, honestly, like, you know, Fiji is very near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, as you know, Zach, you know, sneaker culture, which I didn't know that was a thing, but I grew up in Fiji in the nineties, you know, um, my dad had friends in the U S who would send us you know, VHS tapes of the playoffs and we would watch, you know, the bulls and the jazz and, uh, in Fiji, cause we didn't have cable. Um, I don't even think you know, Fiji got cable for, for a few years. Uh, wow. Fiji as a country got its first McDonald's when I was, I want to say eight or nine years old. Oh man. Um, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> it was a big attraction to the entire country. I mean, we drove two, three hours to go and stand in line and get a happy meal. 
That's yeah. so funny. And nowadays people in the, in the U S will drive three or four hours to watch a McDonald's burn down. You know, yeah. it's like the opposite. <laughs> right, right. Um, but then, you know, obviously my more most recent time before coming to the U S was New Zealand. So that's a, you know, a little bit more easy to explain. And, you know, we have people who ask, oh, why do you do the haka? Do you play rugby? And those are the fun things about New Zealand. You know, I don't ever remember my dad or my mom saying, do you want to play rugby? We, they just took me one Saturday to a field and there was like some kids running around They're like, great, you're playing rugby. So <laughs> I do. Uh, same thing with my brother. He was five uh, when we moved from New Zealand, uh, when we moved to New Zealand. And I remember taking him as well. And, you know, we just played rugby and yeah, the haka is very much part of the culture and it's, uh, it's, it's fun to share that with people. Well, for everyone listening, uh, come to the bond booth at money 2020 and Marcus will do the haka for you. <laughs> so transitioning from the haka into FinTech, which is a sentence that obviously I say all the time, how did you kind of come upon the world of finance? Like as you were growing up, I know you started working in the banking world, but kind of talk me through that. And also I think you were pretty unique in where you were at in life at that point where, you know, you weren't just some kid that had come out of some Ivy league joining Goldman Sachs or something like that. Like you were, you were an adult. You had a kid by this point, you had responsibilities. Like it was a very unique kind of entree into the New York wall street experience, I think. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I love, I love my time at Goldman. Uh, Goldman's a special place and coming out of BYU Hawaii. I don't think I got the memo that, uh, you're, you, you know, you're not supposed to work at Goldman if you come from one of these tiny schools, <laughs> that's where you know, kids from Stanford and Dartmouth and, you know, those are great schools. But, uh, yeah, so I was in Hawaii in 2007, um, visiting my sisters and I ended up staying for a little longer than I'd planned. It was easy with the whole passport lottery thing, uh, that my parents gave me and, uh, I was studying architecture prior to finance. Uh, but obviously in 2007 and 2008, there was the big financial crisis. Um, I was working at bank of Hawaii as a teller. And that's an interesting story because I recently met the president of bank of Hawaii and I told him that I worked for him as a teller. And we kind of laughed about that because, you know, I was the nobody and he was the president of the bank kept them safe and sound, which I did not know what those terms meant back then as a teller. Now I hear a lot more about safety and soundness of banks, but uh, that just got me intrigued. You know, financial systems, how did we get into this crisis that the U.S. was in? Um, ended up, you know, there was a professor at BYU Hawaii who had run a hedge fund previously. He had worked on Wall Street himself and a super charismatic guy and it got me introduced into finance. So uh, signed up for finance uh, and accounting, by the way, I should, should add, I forget sometimes I do have a degree in accounting as well, though I chose to go down more the finance route. Um, so yeah, landed at Goldman, had a great time there, uh, before digging into FinTech via lending club, actually lending club is what introduced me to, to web bank and the folks there at, uh, web bank where I spent the previous three years before joining bond. Tell us a little bit more about, about that experience at WebBank. Cause from my, my point of view, you were kind of in one of the best, I don't know if you want to call it a pressure cooker, a situation, you know, call it what you will, but those, those few years at WebBank, I think a lot happened. You guys did a lot of programs and kind of, you were the first wave of a lot of the more fascinating credit programs specifically. So what was, what was that like? Was it a pretty hard growth trajectory? Was it pretty straightforward? Like what were some lessons learned maybe? 
Yeah. Um, so first off, you know, shout out to Jason Lloyd, who is, I, you know, he, he hates to, to hear these things and, um, you know, if you listen, let's make him here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jason's now the president, but Jason, in my view is like the godfather of credit in this industry. So prior to WebBank, Jason and uh, a few other uh, team members were at CIT bank and they were managing programs through this issue. It wasn't even called FinTech back then. Uh, it was, you know, bill me later before they joined the PayPal team. And uh, Jason was head of partnerships at WebBank and had done these, he had been doing these deals for years. So when I got to meet Jason, it was very clear to me that not only was WebBank extremely successful, um, and then people can go back and look at the FDIC numbers. And back in 2016, you know, they were doing incredible amounts of volume for such a small bank. And so while Lending Club got a lot of the press, WebBank was really the entity behind, the, you know, Lending Club uh, making a lot of money and uh, they were just printing money. So Jason's vision for the bank, Jason's vision for FinTech was growth. There was gonna be more of these companies who wanted to partner with banks to issue products, to do credit cards. Um, you know, WebBank was not doing credit cards at the time. Today they have programs like Pedal, uh, your cash flow underwriting for consumers, which is a really successful program. Uh, they do the credit card for Avant and you know a number of other sizable credit organizations. And you know, issue, and I think the last time I saw it was they've done over 180 billion since they started down this this fintech path. Wow! Um, so extremely successful team there. A hugely successful team, and then we had this magical jump over to the world of Bond, which very. How long until? How long were you at Bond before the world? absolutely and totally changed like a few months or how long were you around? Yes. I joined bond in uh, October of 2019. And then we went, you know, I was remote. Uh, I live in salt Lake and the bond team is based in, in San Francisco. Uh, you know, we wanted to keep our family roots here where my wife is from the Salt Lake city area. And so moving to San Francisco wasn't an option, but thankfully Roy and Yan were just, you know, looking for talent as opposed to looking for people to sit in San Francisco. So we went fully remote in February of 2020, uh, thinking that, Oh yeah, this will be a few months and we'll be back at it. And obviously that hasn't happened, uh, but it was a good exercise, I think to the company, uh, to see what we would be like, you know, in sort of building this company at this time, trying to work with banks who are very, you know, at the time were very much accustomed to in-person meetings. I remember coming out to, to, to Kansas to yep. meet Zach and, you know, slogging bags, you know, uh, our luggage around, but now it's you know kind of the norm to expect that we can do meetings over zoom. We can meet virtually uh, still looking forward to the days to meet people in person. Um, but it was a good transition. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. I said, I will never forget that experience. It's still funny to me that I've met you, Roy, Yan, all at one lunch. And then I drove you guys to the airport and then I haven't seen any of you since. And I haven't <laughs> met anyone else that joins the company since. But things keep moving. Things keep working. We keep growing. It's it's wild. So kind of going back to that transitory period, what was it about your history? What was it about kind of what you've been through in life that made Bond an obvious next step or was it an obvious next step less so like, you know, bond commercial stuff, but truly like, what did you experience previously that you were like, ah, I'm going to go do this. Cause it could have, this could be my dent in the world kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, when I when I left uh, Goldman to join WebBank, um, I knew I wanted to be close to fintech, and I didn't have a tech background. So the closest thing was join a bank that was in the space and join a bank that was growing. Um, and I'll be honest, it was not an easy decision to leave Web, largely because of the relationships there. Um, the difficulty was, though, you know, banks are banks, and there's a disconnect between technology. Um, you know, at the time, it wasn't as high of a priority for the bank to build what I thought was, in terms of growth and scalability, some tech to help the compliance procedures and policies that they have, because those are all necessary in this space, um, to open up the opportunity set for what we refer to here at as brands, right? So not necessarily just the next lending club, but how does, I don't know, how, how does, you know, Adidas get a buy now, pay later product out there for the latest Yeezys, you know, TBD, but that, that to me was more exciting about fintech and technology um, than I think the bank's priorities were at the time. And so when I heard the pitch from Roy and Yen and what they were building here at Bond, it just made complete sense for where I would like to, you know, try my hand at something entrepreneurial, try my hand at building something. I think um, banking, finance is always going to be uh, you know, a opportunity that's there, but these opportunities to build unique things don't come around too often, at least in my experience. So it was an opportunity to kind of flex that muscle a little bit. Yeah. And it's a muscle that you've flexed and a muscle that seems to be continuing to build. One of the things that I, for, for folks that, for folks that don't know every bit of my personal history at bond, I actually used to work with Marcus day to day. I was on the partnerships team and then things grew to a point where it made more sense for me to kind of be here asking these questions, telling these stories, yada, yada, yada. But why I say this is because one of the things that I learned about you through the time working with you was how you going to work every day and sitting on these calls with you reminded me a lot of getting reps in, you know, if you're a quarterback or reminded me a lot of somebody just going to the gym and really trying to build their legs, right? Squatting every day or something like that. And the metaphor to take the butchered metaphor a step further is that you seem to be able to not only help people figure out kind of what product they should be in, but how it should fit in the flow and kind of dream weave something that's really exciting versus like, Hey, let's do a debit card. Hey, let's do a credit card, right? Like how do we take that a step further? So I guess, I guess the question is how did you build that muscle? Like, is it just calls and calls and calls and talking to people and talking to people, talking to people? Because for, as one example, one thing that I've seen you do that I don't see a lot of people do in the space is somebody comes in, they're like, yes, we think that we want this, you know, commercial prepaid debit card. And you're like, okay, but is that, what's the job to be done? Is that actually solving the problem? Maybe you need a credit card or vice versa, right? Maybe there's an entirely different thing here that you don't even need a card for. So how did you develop that muscle and how did you get comfortable selling the right thing and putting people in the right set of products instead of just the easiest product? Yeah. Um, well, first off for the listeners, I'd like to pay Zach back by inviting you all to the gun show that he has prepared for money 2020. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and I have heard this from third parties where I've said, Oh, do you know, Zach Pettit? And they've said, Oh, the, the guy who lifts. Um, so shout out to Chris Stanley at Atlanta capital bank for that one. But That's what about ridiculous. 2020. Um, <laughs> But no, I think so. Uh, I, I appreciate those kind words, Zach. You know, one thing 
I ventured out on when I left WebBank to join Bond. And I talked this over with my wife of like, why would we make this move, right? Um, we, uh, you know, we have pretty comfortable lives, pretty comfortable job at WebBank. And the question was, is this an opportunity to learn more things? And I absolutely saw it as that. I think I've spoken with friends and uh, acquaintances about what's it like to join a startup. Uh, one of my, the things you know that I think people should really consider, aside from financials, product market fit, and all of those kind of buzzwords, is what do you think you could learn at this startup? And one of the things I wanted to learn was could I be more product solutions oriented in a partnerships role as opposed to like you said, right? Here's my product, take it or leave it, right? It's it's like how do you become more consultative because. I believe that's where financial services are going. I don't think, and, and banks, they're not incentivized to think this way, right? They sort of are, if it's not broken, why fix it mentality. But when you dig into financial services and you think about money, right? Money, we, we earn it, we make it, call it whatever you want, but it's you know, the form in which we exchange it for other goods that we want. And so it you know, sits in a bank account until it reaches of another destination, whether it's you're traveling to Hawaii or you're buying a, a t-shirt or whatever it is. And those brands on the other side are thinking about, you know, how can I incentivize my customers more? How can I give them the right marketing of the exact product at the right time? And there's a lot of work that can be done on that on the data side. I think financial data has a lot of opportunity on that front. But yeah, that may, led me to think about my role as when I talk to companies to really listen, like hear what they're trying to say. Because I think what happens is we end up speaking in the words that we know about banking, right? Oh, checking mm -hmm. account. Really? Is it, is it a checking account? Like, do you want to write checks from a checkbook? Well, no, I want to be able to like spend through Google pay. Okay. So you're really looking for virtual accounts and you know, it's like, where are you trying to get your money to, as opposed to just thinking, I want a debit card with my logo on it. Cause that's honestly, that's not innovation. Uh, and that's not what we think the future of financial services would be. Yeah. I mean, even just the way the, spend, save, send, right? That was something that you kind of coined early or I imagine someone in the ether within the years past probably said this too. Um, but that was something that you said earlier on that really clicked for me about, you know, it's not, it's not about if it's a credit card or a debit card that swiped at point of service. It's about the fact that the money's moving, right? And it's about, it's about figuring out the way for the money to move in the way that benefits both the one issuing the card or issuing the product and also more importantly, generally the consumer and how they interact with it. So I think it's a beautiful way of shifting things on their heads. And it gives us a chance to get out of what you were talking about in terms of, you know, well, this is a checking account. This is a, this, this is a, that. And you know, there's not room for anything else in between. And now, you know, people are jumping up with secured cards out of left field. Like there's this huge, you know, kind of push in that direction. And we're realizing like the, the guardrails aren't what, what we thought they were. They're actually, you know, there's an ability to jump out of them if you have the proper conversations and if you, if you handle things correctly. Yeah. Look, and I think when you, when you look at how banks as examined, not, not to bash on banks cause they do a really good job of printing money, no pun intended. And, um, but you know, the, the team over at atomic as an example, right? Jordan Wright and Scott, just phenomenal thinkers about what you can do with someone's payroll data 
given the consumer's permission, right? So if I can move money from my paycheck to Hawaiian Airlines, as an example, keep going back to Hawaii because I love that place, but, you know, would Hawaiian Airlines give me a 10% discount, a 20% discount if they could know who my employer is, how much money I make, where I buy bread, milk, and eggs from. Yeah, that's a proposition I'm willing to put in front of these companies to say, how much is that worth to you? You know, and I joke around because my wife hates that I do this, but I love looking for these free checking account offers, right? Hey, switch your direct deposit and we'll give you $250 or $450. That shows you one, the extent to which a bank is really going to customize the value prop. They just are thinking, hey, I'll throw some money at you for your data. And two, that's quite an expensive customer acquisition strategy, in my opinion, to be give, doling out you know, $250, hoping that that person doesn't just open the account, switch the direct deposit, and then close the account once they get the money. Not Which is bank, exactly what you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I think about it as uh, market intel, you know, some getting some competitive intel. Um, and, and I will be honest there that like the, the experiences are not great. The signup experiences. I mean, I closed one account and it had 38 cents in it. And I understand some of this is regulatory, right? And, uh, you know, they said, okay, great. We'll send you a cashier's check for the 38 cents. And in my head, I'm like, how much does that cost you? Right. Couldn't you just sell it over to me? I nobody, nobody uses that term, right. But banks love it. Why don't you just like send that to me over Venmo or something instead of printing off this check. But you know, it's the kind of state that which banks are in, right? Once again, if you're not incentivized to, to innovate, why? That That's a fair point. And if you have the, the stringent regulation kind of body that exists over them, in a lot of cases, their hands are tied too. Yep. So... One other thing that we that we talk a lot about that I always find really interesting with you is the the conversation around how fintech is obviously here. It's making a dent. You know, if you spend time on Twitter, everything is fintech, fintech's eating the world, yada, yada, yada. But I think we both have some sense that maybe it's not as distributed yet as it could be, it should be, right? Like we, we're kind of in a little bit of a bubble sometimes. And then you go ask your, your grandpa, you know, what he thinks about uh, Robin Hood. And he's like, ah, it's my favorite movie, son. You know, it's not, it's not, we're not on the same page here in a lot of cases. So one of the things that I love uh, that you've kind of started doing is, is some research amongst your family about things like this and kind of like talking to your dad about some, like, I think you said he was using stash. T tell me that story. Cause I think that's a, a beautiful story of we're finally getting these things out in the world and people that we don't, you know, talk to on the phone and interact with on Twitter are starting to use these products. Yeah, I, I definitely up the Twitter game. I have none. Uh, I, I, also have no LinkedIn game. I need to up that as well. But uh, I did mention this a, a few months ago. My dad called me up. It's been about a year. And, you know, he wanted to tell me about, he knows I work in finance, but you know, even when I worked in at Goldman, they came out to New York and came to the office. They had no clue what I do, uh, what I did. And, you know, my you know, parents love to brag, but they found it hard to brag because they're like, what do you do, Marcus? Uh, <laughs> So he calls me up to tell me about this great product that allows him to invest in the stock market. And so I'm like, wow, that's awesome, dad. Cause I tried to get him to open up an E-Trade account and he just couldn't get through the signup flow. Um, and he's like, Oh, it's a company called stash. Have you heard of them? I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I think I have dad. And you know, I definitely heard of stash being in FinTech. And then he told me, you know, you should look into this FinTech space and maybe like, <laughs> what they're doing. 
um, you know, fast forward a few months and, and my sister did the same thing. She texted me one day and she's like, Hey, have you heard of this company called Affirm? They, they, you know, they do lending online. Um, and I'm like laughing to myself because Arlene, our chief compliance officer was the chief compliance officer there. And so I told my sister, yes, I know them. They're a good company. You should get the job. Uh, and she did. And then she also asked me, what are RSUs? Uh, so I told her, yes, get your restricted stock units and, and do that thing inside of FinTech. Um, but another story more recently that I think like really brings home this point. So as you know, Zach, uh, I, I didn't know I was a sneakerhead, but I think I can give in to the fact that I irrationally buy shoes for the Jordan logo and for the exclusivity of it. I'm not one of those people that buys them for thousands of dollars. Yeah. If I get them on you're a sneakerhead, Mark, Marcus, you're a sneakerhead. Just accept well, it. And, you know, look, and that, that's something that I do love, but that's what I think financial services can get to, right? Where people are building products for communities that they love and that they are, you know, find a common interest in. So a couple of companies that is out there that are raising money around this industry, Soul Savvy being one, um, obviously the sneakers app run by Nike does over a billion in annual sales. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a good size industry, but I was talking to, um, some guys at a company called wear testers and they, you know, test shoes and they give product feedback, phenomenal followings, you know, a couple hundred, oh, I think close to a million followers on Instagram and all the socials. But these guys obviously very, very close to sneakers, very close to the NBA, very close to basketball. And I asked them what their view of Chime was. And, you know, obviously Chime's super successful. Chris Britt and the team have done amazing things there. But they kind of said, who? And I was shocked. I was like, wait a second. These guys have to know that Chime is the sponsor of the Mavs. And when I said that, I'm like, oh, well, do you know the sponsor of the Mavs? They clicked. They're like, oh, that green logo. And I was like, yeah, that's Chime. They're a fintech. They do. And he was just clueless. He was like, oh, well, I didn't even know that. I've got a credit union account. And, you know, that to me was, hey, fintech has not yet gone mainstream. So like, there's so much growth in this because, yeah, I think, I, I don't know if he did open up an account, but while we were on, on the call, he looked it up and he's like, wow, this looks pretty cool. Like this chime thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if he did, you know, Chris, if you're listening, send me that referral by message. I mean, it really, it really is wild. It's, it's all of these solutions are out there. They're just not well distributed yet. You know, it's like I, a number of months ago, my mom had to transition her yoga business online and I had to help her set up Stripe. And it's to a point now where like I explained what it was acquiring yada, yada, yada. And now she's getting in there, you know, doing instant payouts, doing everything that it allows for and not calling me to ask that question. Like it's so simple that she can actually use it herself. And I think we're, we're moving in the right direction as an industry and hopefully, hopefully embedded finance just makes it easier and easier and easier, right? As brands are stepping into the Nikes of the world, like I would have a sneakers at a sneakers card right on top of my wallet. If it got me access to early, early drops and whatever else, apparently I'm a sneakerhead too. Uh, but yeah, it, it's exciting to see the actual proliferation of this instead of just a bunch of nerds sitting around a campfire talking about what could be, you know? And look, these big businesses, they, they think about that too, right? How does money get into their businesses? Mm -hmm. How does money go out of it? How do I get more information about my customers and, and tailor my products? You know, I think, I think what, you know, the web, the internet, 
you know, social media has shown us is that we are actually quite comfortable sharing data so yeah. long as we get to permission it ourselves. You know, yeah. I think that's different than some bank selling your information in the background without your permission um, versus someone consciously saying, hey, I'm engaging with this Instagram platform. So therefore, algorithm track me and tailor my experience. Uh, I, you know, I, I laugh because you know, my, my children, one, don't know what a VHS tape is. They have somewhat of a semblance of what a DVD is. And uh, we don't have cable at home. And so they have no clue what cable is. So when they, you know, we're at a hotel or anything like that, and they see these set programs and set advert adverts, they're just kind of clueless about like, why am I seeing this, you know, I don't know what type of medication ad might come up during SpongeBob. Versus like when you're on something that's curated, you know, even though you might feel irked at times about like, how did they know I was looking for, you know, tickets to, and I'll pick another place, Italy, right? Yeah. But whatever, you know, cookies are tracking it. It actually creates for a better experience. So if a company can say, I, you know, I see that you have an interest in sneakers and here is something to incentivize that interest of yours. I'm all for that. Or an interesting coffee, right? I mean, some of the numbers that we've seen come out recently, like Starbucks, their deposit, their deposit base is uh, they're competing with some of the larger banks at this point. I mean, it's a billion would be a load number in terms of some of their deposits on there. And it's just people that are topping up so that they can get a coffee and then get some extra, you know, points or whatever. Like it's pretty low hanging fruit, but it's huge. Right. I mean, $1.6 billion, right? People are willing to say to the tune of $1.6 billion, hey, Starbucks, hold on to my money until I might want to come in and get a coffee, right? How many other companies could you say, Nike, hold on to this money until I want to buy a pair of shoes? Going back, right? Hawaiian Airlines, hold on to this money until I'm ready to fly. You know, it's just that to me makes more sense than chase hold on to this money until i figure out what i want to buy it, it just seems more fluid yeah hold on to it and lend it out right yeah, yeah. yeah that's the other thing is like the you know being a bank versus not being a bank i think people in a lot of cases feel comfortable with starbucks because they're like yeah maybe there's a bank on the back end that treats that as deposits be they brokered or not and maybe they lend it out but every time you get in there you have you know you're not thinking of starbucks providing you a loan so you get to trust them a whole different level Right. It's fascinating. All right. Well, we could go back and forth on the, the nerdiness of fintech and the insanity of this world that we live in all day long. I know you need to go create the world that we're talking about and turn it into a real thing. So I just got two final questions for you before we jet. And then we're going to have to do this again. But the first one is hiring on the partnership side of team of things, I should say. What are you hiring for there? Where should folks go look if they're interested in working with you, getting involved in a lot of things that we're talking about. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. So looking for folks who understand financial partnerships, um, you know, one of the things about this industry, if you ask around, right, who set up, you know, the relationship between current and choice bank and, you know, Tim, the, Tim and the team, there at choice are a phenomenal group. Um, or who set up obviously, you know, Chris and the team at Chime with Bancorp, but they're typically, you know, founders. And so it's quite difficult to find someone who's actually struck one of these relationships, which is actually not a bad thing in our view, right? We want to find people who are just hungry to learn more about FinTech, hungry to get into the mix with the banks that we work with. 
um, the brands that we eventually work with and you know, build something that you know, in our view is still yet to be determined. So there's a lot of unknowns around that. Um, I think we have a great culture here at Bond. You, know, you can work with Zach, uh, people like uh, Brian on our marketing team, Laura in sales, LCO in product. Like there's a whole host of characters where once again, going back to that theme of why join a startup, well, you can learn things here at Bond as well as do a great job of the task at hand. Come one, come all. And I will link to all the job board and all that kind of stuff in the show notes and also give folks a place if they want to reach out to you directly. Uh, is there a best place for that? Do you like LinkedIn messages? Do you want people to bombard your email? What's, what's the easiest way to get a hold of Marcus? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm fine with email. Uh, Marcus at bond.tech. And uh, I should say Marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, um, or LinkedIn. Yeah, I, I, I love to get messages and hear what people are looking to do. So feel free to drop me a note about what you're looking to do. Um, I'm much more responsive to that just because it gives me a sense of, hey, like there might be a fit here. And uh, yeah, let's connect. Perfect. All right. I'll add all that in the show notes. Marcus, I appreciate my friend. I love getting to talk to you outside of our normal, just, you know, trying to take over the world one day at a time thing. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Marcus Lobendon, VP of Strategic Partnerships at Bond. Interchange was founded inside a bond to benefit the developers, product owners, and executives at brands working inside the next generation of financial services. We hope that you're learning, enjoying, and maybe even laughing along. We love this world and we're passionate about every piece of it. Let us know what you'd like to learn more about, who you'd like to hear from, and what's getting you out of bed in the morning in this wild world of fintech in which we live. If you'd like to learn more about Bond, please reach out. You can get a hold of me at Zach at Bond.tech. Let's start a conversation. Check out the show notes and the Bond blog for a deeper dive if you're still listening and just can't get enough. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and a rating in your favorite podcast app. Until our next interchange.